As organizations migrate to the cloud, they need information security professionals who are cloud savvy. Through CSA, you can earn your Certificate of Cloud Security Knowledge, or CCSK, which is widely recognized as the standard of expertise for cloud security. As part of the CCSK training, you will learn the core concepts, best practices, and recommendations for securing an organization on the cloud regardless of the provider and platform. So, if you want to prove your competency, increase employment opportunities, and learn to establish a baseline of security best practices, visit our website, cloudsecurityalliance.org slash education slash CCSK. That's one word, cloudsecurityalliance.org slash education slash CCSK. Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Good morning, everyone. Another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. Uh, we have a long day today. How are you, Moshe? Uh, perfect. Good, mo- uh, good morning or after this, good afternoon already. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we are staying in the midday. And with us also, many. How are you, many? Perfect. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm very happy to hear that. Very happy to have you with us. <laughs> well, I know many for many years. I've been doing a lot of stuff, um, a lot of uh, lectures, being at, at many presentations, or one of his lectures is a real treat. So I advise any of you, uh, check, out his, uh, <laughs> check out his public speaking schedule and find the gig next to you. <laughs> uh, hi, Manny. Hi. Pleasure to have you. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm very honored that you uh, invited me to speak in this podcast. It's an amazing <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. When I talk with Moshe, we talk, we say many the rock stars. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, because of the virus, because of the coronavirus, all of my gigs around the world have actually canceled. So that's amazing. Every event, every conference around the world got canceled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you were supposed to speak last week on the in Barcelona uh, the world, yeah. and uh, that was canceled. Yeah, I was supposed to be on the first day of MWC, mm-hmm. um, giving one of the keynotes about AI and actually the future <laughs> of privacy and things related to the things that we're going to talk about today. Okay, but because you are available and because you're uh, in Israel, we invited you here. We got the gap to, to uh, have you here. And we're going to talk about the future of privacy and programmable people, a very interesting conversation. You're going to lead the way. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and dive into the conversation. Perfect. So my name is Manny Barzilai. If you want to find out more about me, the best way to do that, that would be going through my website, which is manyb.com, M-E-N-N-Y b.com um a bit about myself so i'm a partner at a company called uh Cytactic, which is actually the cyber security services division of Herzog strategic uh we are providing cyber security services to companies all over the world um architecture design strategy development we're doing a lot of crisis management for companies companies are getting hacked calling us um beside my consultancy firm I'm also the CTO of the Cyber Research Center at the Tel Aviv University, the ICRC, Interdisciplinary Cyber Research Center. Um, this is um, a large academic research center at the Tel Aviv University with um, about 250 researchers. Uh, the center is also in charge of the Cyber Week, um, conducted once a year in the Tel Aviv University. Um, there we have about... Uh, people from over 90 countries arriving in Israel every year to participate in about 40, 50 events, uh, all related to cyber in some way or another, all of which um, is taking place in the Tel Aviv University. Just Google Cyber Week Tel Aviv University um, and you will find more about that. And I will take this opportunity to uh, to uh, say that in Cyber Week we are hosting the Cloud Security Alliance Innovation Conference. First time uh, we've been hosting uh, Cloud Security Alliance International, sorry, EMEA Congress for the last couple of years. This time it's going to be uh, branded into innovation. We're going to talk about the latest development in cloud security, uh, and it's going to take t- uh, place at Wednesday, July, June first. Okay. So let me just tell you that Moshe's event, the CSA one, is one of the most interesting one at the Cyber Week. Definitely check it out. Again, go into the website and you will find more information about that. Um, 
other things that I do, I give a lot of I give a lot of talks around the world on cybersecurity. I have my newsletter, Think Cyber, also through my website, manyb.com, um, involved in several startup companies in the field of cybersecurity, um, and so on and so forth. Cyber, 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 cyber. <laughs> okay, so mm. now to to something more interesting, maybe. Yeah, no, th this was interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sunday. This was very interesting <laughs> learning about what you do, Manny. We are here to talk about the future of privacy. Okay, perfect. So you know, and programmable people. And programmable people. For me, the topic of privacy is one of the most interesting ones um, to discuss. You know, so many things happen in the world of technology today, but privacy is probably one of the most interesting of all. Um, and, and surprisingly enough, I think that recently, the past year, suddenly, all of my television interviews, all the times that they called me to give an interview on television, all of the cases were related to privacy in one way or another. So people have never stopped talking about privacy and it seems like it's becoming more and more interesting people for everyone. Now, something very interesting happened um, in one of my recent uh, interviews. So I was sitting there on television. And, you know, this is a very stressful situation. I'm wearing a suit. I want people to think that I'm smart. So I'm using my lower voice and I'm talking like blah, 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 blah. And they asked me to talk about new ways that new techniques that Facebook uses in order to uh, collect more information. And obviously I talked about that. And then at the end of the interview, the lady interviewing me asked me a question. Now, that was a very simple question, a very easy question, but I was sitting there stumped. I, 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 was, I didn't know what to say. And the thing is that time on television is measured by seconds. And sometimes you have only 10 seconds to convey a message that otherwise would take you like 15, 20 minutes to explain. And I was sitting there and I couldn't answer the simple question. And that was a very embarrassing moment on television, just me sitting there. Um, um, and the days after this interview, I was walking down the street and I was like, what happened, man? That was such a simple question. Why couldn't you answer this question? And the simple question that she asked me was, after me explaining that um, Facebook has new ways to collect information, she asked, so what? <laughs> <laughs> so what? So it's such a simple question, right? So it seems like it's very easy to talk about the fact that privacy is important for us, but it's not that simple to explain why. And now I started thinking about it. How do you explain privacy? How do you explain to people why privacy matters? Because there are many people out there that say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care that Facebook knows. My I have nothing to hide. This is usually I have nothing to hide, and I, you know what? This is a, such an important point, and we will get to it uh, soon because we did an experiment on television about this. I don't have anything to hide. Um, so, so the thought experiment goes goes as such. Uh, I will tell this as a guy, but you can translate it to a woman if you're a woman or whatever you want. So, um, think about this situation: you're going to the beach with your girlfriend, right? Um, and you're taking pictures, you're in bathing suit, and, and you take all the traditional cliche pictures, your feet to the, to the, on the sand, the beer bottle near, near you, you know, like you see the sunset, and so on and so forth. 20, 30, 40 pictures. And you upload those pictures to Facebook. Up until now, everybody did that, right? Nothing, nothing very interesting here. The thing is that next day you go to your workplace, you open the door and you see that one of your friends is very happy. He's like smiling and you walk into his room or cubicle, it depends where you work. And then you see that this guy actually printed one of those pictures that you uploaded yesterday. And in this picture, you only see your girlfriend wearing a bikini and he posted on his wall, like a physical wall, right? He printed it out on a regular, regular <laughs> yeah. paper and put it on his wall. And, and, and you're like, what? What's, what's going on here? You're, you're approaching him. You're still not angry because you think that reality is mixed up. And you ask him, why do you have a picture of my girlfriend on your wall? And he says, um, well, wh wh what do you mean? And I say, well, what is not clear in my question? Why do you have a picture of my girlfriend on your wall? And he says, well, you uploaded those pictures to Facebook because you thought people will enjoy watching them. I say, yeah, you don't feel comfortable with this question, but you say, yeah. And he says, well, I really enjoyed watching this picture. So I printed it out and put it on my wall. 
and 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 you don't know exactly what went wrong but you feel that the end result of this reasoning is really really terrible and he's telling him well he, he shouldn't do those things and, he, and he's a bit confused he says what happened say please don't take any pictures from my facebook and print them out and put them on your wall and he says okay okay i didn't mean to make you angry um i, I will take it out and i throw it away and he, and he does that um and and you're still angry but you say okay we're gonna be okay you go to your desk you keep on working the next day you go to your workplace you open the doors this guy's still smiling <laughs> <sighs> you walk into his office and now you see that instead of printing out one of those pictures what he actually did is just created a shortcut on his desktop and when you double click it it goes into the same picture on facebook and now you're like angry. <laughs> well, didn't we have this discussion yesterday? And now he is really confused. What happened? And you tell him, why do you have a shortcut for my girlfriend picture on your desktop? And now he says, well, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, but I really don't understand what you want. You, you published those pictures on Facebook because you wanted people to watch them. This is the goal of Facebook. So I'm watching them. I'm not doing anything you didn't intend me to do. I'm just watching them. Now, you feel this is not okay. You don't know to explain. It's hard for you to explain what went wrong in the process. But you feel that the end result is not okay. And you told them, please, don't go into my Facebook. Don't watch any of my girlfriend pictures. Don't do anything with my life. Thank you. Bye-bye. He says, okay. He deletes the shortcut. He says, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you angry. Sorry about that. You go to your desk. You work. You go to your workplace the next day. Now, you're already angry because you know that examples comes in threes. <laughs> so, so you open the door and this guy is just watching your pictures on your Facebook. Not your girlfriend, just your pictures. Wow. It feels like this guy is violating your privacy. Like he's going into your life. You feel that you're exposed, that you're naked. You are doing the worst thing that any human being could do to any other human being. And you block him on Facebook. You don't want any connection <laughs> with this guy anymore. So yeah, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense because on one hand, you feel that it was okay to publish those pictures on Facebook. On the other hand, you feel that it's not okay that people watch them. Apparently that when we publish something on Facebook and other places, we publish them with um, a transparent or a hidden set of rules. There is some rules that we expect people to be, to, to be aligned with, but we never tell them what those rules are. For example, it is okay to watch uh, to watch those pictures together, but it's not okay to focus on one specific picture. It is okay to watch those pictures if Facebook uh, pop them up in your feed, but it's not okay to go to your profile, go into those pictures and watch each and every one of them. It is okay to watch them when you're in your workplace. It's not okay maybe to watch them when you, if you're alone in the restroom. I don't know. But there is some kind of, of rules um, that you expect people to be aligned with. And, and that's, that brings us to one of the most important aspects of privacy is that as privacy is a, is a matter of context. The same information in different contexts might be considered as a, a legitimate use or privacy violation. Mm -hmm. Let me give you just more examples for that. Let's assume that you're having this, this podcast. We're now having this podcast. So we're sitting in this place. There's only few of us here, right? Nobody else is here. And soon, many, many, many people will hear this podcast, right? But what happened if suddenly you see someone, um, like someone's head in the window, listening to what we say right now? Now, this feels uncomfortable. Even though everything that we say now will eventually be publicly available, the fact that someone is listening through a different medium feels uncomfortable for us. It's okay that people watch us walking down the street. It's not okay that people are taking pictures or following us, right? It is okay that people, uh, that people um, I don't know, like, you can think about millions yeah. of examples. Now, I want to touch this point. I want to touch what you, Moshe, what you said about I don't care um, that people know what I publish on Facebook, right? This is something that many people think. And, and yeah, you said it in a cynical way. Obviously, you know that this is not the truth. But still, some people, many people believe that whatever they publish on Facebook, they don't care that other people would know. This is for them. This is public. And, and we challenged this assumption. What we did 
there was an experiment. Uh, I think that this was done in the United States and I saw that on YouTube and I liked it and I decided to do that in Israel. So I approached one TV station, um, uh, a brilliant uh, TV person named Omri Barak and I told him, let's do that. Let's try that in Israel. And what we did is that we found a coffee place um, in Ramat Gan, right? And um, Ramat Gan is a city in Israel, if you're from abroad, right? <laughs> and we printed a very beautiful sign saying, you can get a free coffee for a like. If you will like the page, uh, the Facebook page of the, of the coffee place, you will get a free coffee. And what happened is that people went into the coffee place and said, yeah, we want the coffee for a like, just like the page, and we gave them coffee. But the moment they liked the page, we were sitting in a faraway table um, monitoring the page, the Facebook page. The moment someone did like, we got their name, we got their Facebook profile, and we started analyzing information. For example, where those people came from, what do they do, um, what things they were involved in. And, and, we, and everything that we found, we told the lady giving the coffee. She had this earpiece, uh, nobody saw that, and we told her everything that we found. And when she gave the coffee to the person, she told them things about that. Yeah. Oh, you are a teacher. You just left two years ago and you visited the United States and you have a dog and the dog's name is Rexy, right? And so on and so forth. And it made people feel so uncomfortable. You know, people were getting angry. People told us, many people told us we are not allowed to publish that. People were, um, were really um, threatening and suing us. People were taking it really, really, really personally. So, so this the saying and this was all public information on Facebook. Everything was public. Right. We didn't do anything. People that People shouldn't public. get the wrong idea yeah. that uh, you violated their privacy. Just Google and Facebook. We didn't yeah. do and mm-hmm. only basic things. We didn't come up with any sensitive. We didn't find out, for example, that someone was gay or cheating on his wife or his hus- her husband or something like that. Just publicly available information, simple information. It made people feel so angry because there is a symmetry here in this relationship. You know nothing about this lady giving you coffee and suddenly she knows everything about you. And this asymmetry makes us feel very, very uncomfortable. So you assume that you don't care about people knowing information about you, but the moment you meet someone that does that, and there are many interesting um, experiences like that on the internet, you discover that you actually care. Many other examples. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, I, I will just give you mine. I, I, I really sometimes say that I don't care, but at least for me, but my, my daughter hasn't put five years now any, any picture of her in, the, in, the, in Facebook. It's yeah. interesting because I say I don't care. That I, I really thought I had nothing to, to hide, but she out of the, the yeah. limits. <laughs> so, yeah, kids, kids, it's not that privacy is dead, is that privacy is dying. And it's not that kids today don't believe in privacy, is that they just change the way they define privacy. Privacy for kids is different than what it is for us. But privacy is definitely there. There is still a lot of privacy. You still don't want people to know what's going on in your email. You still don't want your friend to know about your discussions on Facebook and WhatsApp and, and Snapchat and whatever with other friends. So... Uh, there is still privacy, but it is it is dying, and we're going to talk about that. And our story begins in June 2013. Uh, to me, June 2013 was the beginning of privacy era. And do you know what happened in June 2013? Obviously, you do. Uh, Edward Snowden. Uh, exactly, Edward Snowden. In Gen- June 2013, we elected our king of digital privacy, which was Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden worked in one of the most sensitive places in the world, which was, was the NSA which stands for National Security Agency. We used to call the NSA no such agency. It was, it was such a secret place. Nobody knew what's going on there. But today we have so much information about what's going on in the NSA because Edward Snowden published this information. And the first thing that Edward Snowden published to the world was a sensitive, super private, super secret um, initiative done by the NSA called PRISM. Now, PRISM is an intelligence-collecting uh, program, and as part of which the NSA connected to companies like Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, and others as well, obviously Google and others as well. And the NSA had the ability to retrieve information from those companies' databases. So the NSA had inf- had access to more information than any other organization in the world, 
except obviously from the Chinese that they are sitting inside the NSA, so they have this <laughs> information as well. Um, and they also have everyone's mobile data. So, But the NSA has a huge amount of um, access to information. And now Edward Snowden published that it's not just that they have access, it's that they, they use it. They use it to track uh, people in the United States and people all over the world and um, um, leaders of other countries and and the most interesting part for me was is that they're not just using that to promote United States national security agenda. They also use it to promote United States economy-related uh, agenda. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were also engaged in things that are related to economy and not just security. Obviously, those publications, whatever ever, um, Edward Snowden did, created a lot of public criticism surrounding the NSA. A lot of people went out to the streets and they hold signs with Edward Snowden is our hero. Thank you, Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden became, I think, Times Magazine Man of the Year. Though a lot of people were against what he did, many, many Americans told him, thank you for protecting our privacy and our values. Um, um, and to some extent, the GDPR probably the most important regulation today related to privacy in the world that was issued by the EU um, is the result of what Edward Snowden did in 2013. But now, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. <laughs> yeah, that was my version of drum roll. It's time for us to elect the new king of digital privacy. Believe it or not, our new king is Donald Trump. Now, this is not about politics. This is not about... Um, whether you agree with him, whether you like him, whether you hate him, it's not about that. It's about the fact that this guy uh, was the one that brought the discussion about fake news to the public. And there are two things I want to argue now. Number one, that fake news is, is, has a strong connection to privacy. And number two is that fake news is a much bigger problem than what most people consider. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do that by telling you three stories or by conveying three points, right? So point number one <clears throat> starts uh, with a joke. Now, I'm, I'm really terrible in telling jokes. So if one of you has a joke, um, please um, spare everyone in this podcast by you telling the joke and not me. Do you have any jokes? I, I'm very bad. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, better. but I'm, the, I'm not yeah. the worst. That's yeah. what you're telling me. Okay. So I'll tell you when it's the time to laugh because you will not understand it by your own. Okay. So how many psychologists do you need to replace a light bulb, to change a light bulb? You only need one, but it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to cost a lot of money and the light bulb should really want to change. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I know, I know, I know it's not very simple for you. But there is a reason I'm telling you this joke. And there is a reason I'm telling you this joke. One of the biggest lies that our parents tell us as kids is that we are very unique. We are very special. And there is no one like us in the world. But as time goes by, we discover that this is not true. It's true that humanity is always dealing with the differences between us, right? You have this skin color, we have this skin color. You pray to this God, we pray to this God. We eat this, you eat this. We celebrate this, you celebrate this. You do weddings like this, we do this, blah, 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 blah. We're always dealing with the differences between us. But the truth is that people are almost identical. We're almost identical. In the sense that if our mind is some kind of a computer program, the same input will cause the same output for most people around the world. So a joke, not my joke, a better joke, will cause everyone laugh. Everyone around the world, people that speak different languages, they have different gods, that believe in different things, that see themselves as enemies, whatever it is, everybody will laugh by the same jokes. We all watch a movie. Everybody watch the same movie. We're all laughing by the same things. We're all making the wrong assumptions. We're all being surprised by the same things. We're all enjoying the same, the same moments. And the most important thing, the most interesting thing about this movie is that the person who wrote this movie was sitting home alone. And he was writing the script for this movie. And he reached a point where he wrote something that made him laugh. And he said, you know what? If it makes me laugh, it will probably make everyone else in the world laugh. He doesn't have to get up off his chair to check. He knows that we are so similar to him 
that if you wrote something that made him laugh, we will probably laugh as well. You're getting into a new website, right? This is um, a situation that most of us find ourselves into. Uh, you're getting a new website, you need to decide on a new password. Obviously, you're not using the same password uh, as you, you do for other websites because <laughs> using passwords is one of the most terrible things in cybersecurity. So don't reuse passwords. Uh, so you have for each website, you have a unique password. So you're trying to choose a unique password for this website. And you do that. And a week later, you discover that your password is one of the most common passwords in the world. And that's amazing because it's not like humanity met somewhere and we all decided that we're going to choose the same passwords. And, and, and it's also amazing that even with complex and unique passwords, people think that they're unique passwords, you discover that many other people chose the same password. So the statistics are amazing in that sense. If you, and, and, and you discover them after a big data leakage. So if a big database was hacked and like information about 100 million people got, got leaked and there are passwords there, you discover that though there are 100 million people there, there are only like 21 million unique passwords right okay. so that's that's amazing in that in that sense um and and the thing is that we have magicians because people think in the same way we have movies we have books we have jokes we have psychologists we have whatever you want everything is based on the fact that people are similar um but it goes much deeper than that it's not just just this on the surface. It's if you go in depth in the way our mind work, you discover that people have common biases and heuristics. And I think if you want to learn more about that, you should read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Daniel Kahneman is a Nobel Prize winner. And he developed the theory about the two systems. Are you familiar with that? System one and system two. This is a brilliant book and it's a brilliant research in cognitive science and you should really read about that. So there are two systems, system one and system two in, in our mind. And system one is the intuitive one and system two is the slow one. So if I ask you for a second, how much is two plus two? You know it's four. You don't think about that. That's system, that's system one. If I will try to hit you, your body will move. This is system one. You automatically react. And then you have system two. If I ask you how much is 42 uh, times 158, system one don't know how to deal with that. Then it says, I, I don't have a shortcut for it. System two deal with it. And now you get into the slow process of, of thinking. Now, system one is very, very fast because it has many, many shortcuts. It has many tricks and many techniques on how to make decisions very, very fast. Um, uh, um, and because of that, because of those heuristics, um, this, this system can be exploited mm -hmm. in many, many ways. Um, and there is a big list of heuristics and biases that you can exploit. And this is something that the marketing world has been done for many, many years. And let me just give you a few examples on how you can exploit people's cognitive biases. So number one, would be, um, would be, for example, the ownership bias. The ownership bias is a very interesting bias and it was proven in many, many, many different um, experiments. It seems like that when you have something in your hand, you, you consider it, um, you think it has more value than it's not in your hand. Um, let me explain to you. If, you're, if, you, if you go, if you have a teddy bear, right? And someone comes to you and tells you, I want to buy this teddy bear for $100 and you hold this teddy bear. Um, you would say, no, this is mine. Um, I don't want to sell it to you. I will not give it to you for $100. The next day, you're going down the street and you see a shop and they have the same teddy bear. And there it costs $100. You will never buy it because you will say, what? $100 for this teddy bear? It's way too much. And if, you, if we were a machine, this, is, this makes no sense. Because either we think that $100 is a good price for the study bear, or we don't think it's a good price. If we think it's a good price, when someone offers us $100, we will sell it. If we don't think it's a good price, we think the teddy bear is much more expensive, when you see it on the store, we will buy it. But we make those same decisions um, um, based on the same wrong assumptions. Authority bias, and this is something you can do. Uh, don't do it. Just a second. The ownership bias results a lot in uh, sales. This is why we do pilots. Yeah. We let the customer demos. We let the customer use it. Then it's harder to. It, this is. Then we are coming over and say, okay, we finished the pilot. We are taking it away. 
then it's the right moment. You're so mm -hmm. right. And there are many companies that use that. Right. And in many, many places, the first try to give you something and they say, if you're, if you're happy with that, pay us later. If you're not mm -hmm. happy with that, return it. And it's apparently when the moment someone have it, it feels that they don't, they don't want to give it back. Right. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a very, very important point. Right. So this is one way that marketing and sales is exploiting biases. Number two, you can do that at home. Don't do that at home. I assume it's illegal. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. The authority bias. So what you can do is like put any kind of uniform, nothing that looks like a policeman, nothing that looks like official, whatever. You can just buy this yellow vest, right? Just buy a yellow vest with like $5, $3, I don't know. Walk down the street, uh, stand on the, on the pavement and tell people that they have to move to the other pavement. Everybody will do that. <laughs> Nobody will ask questions because people have bias toward authority. The moment you have this fast, they will assume that you know what you're doing and you know why it's working. Um, the last one, probably because there are so many, I will give you just one example. I think it's one of the most common examples in the world. And I think this is something that we all face from time to time, which is anchoring, anchoring. This is a very, very important bias. Mm -hmm. um, let me just give you one example on how it's being exploited. Um, restaurants. You know that in devising or in designing a menu in a restaurant, there is more science than art to it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you will notice in sophisticated restaurants, not in like the street food and so on and so forth, um, that usually successful restaurants will have one uh, meal, one dish, which is much more expensive than anything else. Um, and the goal of this, and, and the, the restaurant will not have a lot of stock from this dish. So do they only keep like a small amount of like, if, if this is a fish, you, they will only have like small amount of, of, uh, of fish in the refrigerator or whatever. And, and cause they know nobody buys this dish. The only reason that this dish is there is to make you think that the other ones are cheaper. Exactly. Other ones are cheaper. And this is very important because everybody knows you never order the first, the most expensive things. People usually tend to order the second and third most expensive, expensive things in the menu. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and again, we always use this, this uh, again in cyber, we give the, our, the, our customers free options. Usually the very cheap one that doesn't have all the features, very expensive one, has tons of features they don't need yeah. because we are aiming that they take the middle one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This no, is exactly you know how let we me, build our me, software packages. Let me touch on that because yeah. this is a very interesting experiment, what you're saying is that uh, if you go, uh, I'm going to touch this specific example. If you go into a shop, a store, and there are two televisions there. One costs, I don't know, $500 and the other one costs $900. People will usually buy the $500. Mm -hmm. People will never buy the $900 if the gap is too, is too big. But what happened if you add another television? $700. What do you think happened there? 700. <laughs> People buy the 900. Yeah. Just because by the adding. Gap is not that big. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Cause they think that the cheapest one, nobody mm -hmm. consider it. That's the cheapest one, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. our option is between the 700 and 900. And if we already decided we're going to spend 700 moving to 900 in $200 makes a lot of sense. Okay. So it's amazing. Just by adding another option in the middle, you made people buy the more expensive one. And that, that happens all the time. Um, People are making decisions based on irrelevant information. The prices of other televisions in the store is irrelevant to the question whether $900 is a good price for this television or not. Mm -hmm. So this is point number one. We could have done that. There are many, many other examples, and this is such a brilliant topic. And I love it because as a cybersecurity guy and a hacker, I love hacking the mind. And, and, and there is a strong connection between cognitive biases and cybersecurity because in almost every big incident that we've seen around the world, there was a moment where the hacker or the criminal did social engineering. Mm -hmm. Social engineering is the exploitations of people's um, biases and heuristics in order to make them make the wrong decisions and install the virus inside the company. Okay, that was point number one. Point number two deals with privacy mining, the collection of more and more of our privacy. And, and this is going to be a big issue. And this is going to be a big issue because of the fact that we are about to connect billions of new devices to the internet. And how do we call this trend? IoT. IoT, which stands for? Internet of Things. Internet of Things, right? I try not to follow with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the thing is that what's connect the most the the, the uh, vast amount of things that are connected to our internet today are computers, right? But from now on, we will have everything connected to our computer, our shoes, our tables, our lamps, our watches, our our um, chairs, our whatever. Everything is going to be connected to the internet, and we're going to call it the Internet of Things. And now the Internet of Things is a very good thing because we're making the world smart, you know, like like shoes become smart shoes, televisions become smart televisions, cars become smart cars, watches become smart watches, eyeglasses become smart eyeglasses, everything becomes smart. It seems like Albert Einstein would be very proud with our achievements. But if you look closely on those smart things, you have to agree that some of those smart things are really, 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 really stupid. So if someone, for example, invented a smart hairbrush. Now you can brush your hair, get statistics on your computer on how good you are with brushing your hair and tips on how to improve in this highly complex task of brushing your hair. So, so there is a smart uh, ring, you put it on your finger. It doesn't do anything until the moment you die. The moment you die, you publish on Twitter, hi, I'm dead. Why would anyone want <laughs> to wear such, such a thing? Uh, there is a smart toilet, right? So now you can track the amount of information you leave behind, right? <laughs> in the toilet, and have this family competition. Mm -hmm. And during the family dinner, compare notes and see who was the winner of this week and give this person less food so someone else will win <laughs> next week. Um, smart watch that will track your stress level. And if you're too stressed, it will scream, being stressed is not good for you. You have to be relaxed which is not the way to make people relaxed, obviously. Um, and smart condoms, which will track information on your um, um, performance performance, and give you tips on how to improve, which is actually great. I have nothing bad to say about this one, right? So the shoes will tell the door that we are here. The door will open. The door will tell the coffee machine that we look tired. The coffee <laughs> machine will ask the coffee machine in the office, how much cup of coffees did we have today? Uh, cups of coffee. And if we didn't have a lot, we'll make us a cup of coffee, right? So things talk to things in order to make our lives easier. But IoT will have dramatic effect on privacy. And because we're moving, um, because of two small things. As the, number one, we're moving from a world where everything is always off everything is always on to off by default to, to from off by default to on by default that means that our phone's camera is off unless we turn it on but everything else in the iot world is on unless we turn it off so our smartwatch, for example will collect information about us all the time um and the smart lamps smart shoes smart tables they will collect information all the time unless we tell them otherwise and this is this is very very interesting because those devices will collect much more information. And the second thing is that they will collect new type of information. So up until now, there was no digital representation of my heartbeat. Nobody could exploit that. Nobody could use that. Nobody could do anything with that. But the moment I started wearing smartwatch, now my heartbeat is being digitalized. That means they can become part of any algorithm, part of any decision-making, part of whatever companies want to do. So <clears throat> there are examples of the police who are able to prove that a uh, husband murdered his wife by analyzing her smartwatch, right? They saw her getting killed through analyzing the data on her smartwatch. Um, there was this brilliant situation where um, someone discovered that her boyfriend is cheating on her. And she, she discovered that because they both had Fitbit and in Fitbit, the, the smartwatch, you can do some kind of matching. So two people could match their smartwatch and share information about activities. And she saw that he was running a marathon at 4 a.m. And, <laughs> and he was engaged in some kind of exercise in four, at 4 a.m. And she knows that would never happen. And obviously, he was having sex during this time. And this is how she discovered. Nobody intended, nobody wears smartwatches in order for people to know that. And there's... Um, I think for me a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant case about Strava, and I assume that you're familiar with that. Strava is an application, mobile application that will allow you to track your exercise, like your bicycle exercises. If you run, this is a brilliant um, application. One day, Strava decided to do some kind of a marketing campaign, which was brilliant. What they did is they published a, a world map. It's still on on the website. You can go there. They published a world map. And you can see where people are running and where people are, are using their bicycle. And this is a great way to discover new routing, uh, new uh, bicycle routes inside your neighborhood. You can just focus on your neighborhood and see, oh, there's this place. People are using it a lot. I should try it as well. 
very interesting, very beautiful marketing um, campaign. And you can see in which places around the world people are using, doing a lot of exercises, in which cities, in which streets. So that's brilliant, right? But by doing so, they also um, uh, unveiled one of the biggest secrets that the United States have, which was the secret locations of United States bases in Afghanistan. And they did that because in Afghanistan, apparently, nobody uses smartwatch in Strava, except Americans. <laughs> and you would see in this map a whole area, which is totally black. Nobody is doing anything about that. And then a point where there are so many people with smartwatches, so many people that are using bicycle and running. And because they're using the bicycle and running on actual roads and, and sometimes around the base, you are able to know what's the size of the base, what roads are inside the base, what roads are leading to this base. So nobody thought that a company like Strava will have such sensitive information. And even those people that suspected they have this information never thought that they will actually publish that. So that was point number two, which deals with uh, privacy, sensors, and the collection of data. Um, so many other things are happening here and, in, and, and, and there are so many interesting ways in which you can collect information about um, people. If you want to hear more about that, you will have to catch me inside a presentation because we don't have a lot of time here and I'm trying to move <laughs> forward. Point number three is much shorter and it deals with the fact that we are all connected to platforms like Facebook and Google and others, and YouTube and others as well. And those platforms are actually behavioral um, experiment systems. Let me explain that. So 2020 is still people think that the internet is free, that Facebook is free, Google is free. We all here know that it's not free. The fact that you're not paying money for those services doesn't mean that they are free. We're paying with our data. And Facebook is actually a big machine that transforms privacy into profit. You put privacy on one hand, you get profit on the other hand. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm not criticizing Facebook because because we are, I think Facebook is a great company. Google is a great company. Microsoft is a great company. All of those companies are great. It's, it's, it's humanity that decided this is what we want. We had so many moments in time where we could decide to, to prefer paid for services over free services. But it seems like people always want to have free services, not to pay anything, and let those people, let those services use their data. Um, even those people who are really angry with Facebook and they come to me and they tell, you know what, I hate Facebook. I hate the fact that they're using my data. They're exploiting my data. I hate that. And I tell them something which is completely lie, right? I'm telling them Facebook just a week ago published new service where you can pay them $20 a month and you will get their service without them using your data. Obviously, again, <laughs> total lie, nothing like that. 100% of the times people prefer to stay to to pay nothing and stay angry over over pay something and be happy so this is what we want so those companies are engaged in transforming privacy into profit and that means that they want more and more of our privacy they want to mine more of our, of our privacy that's why privacy mining is going to be a big deal as we mentioned in the in the um in the point uh, before but the thing is that those companies transform privacy into profit by allowing third parties access to our private information um, to some to some extent our private information and showing us information usually the most um, I would say that the most common use case is by showing us ads right someone want us to want to sell us shoes so they will say I want to sell shoes to people in this city that like the the color brown and they are about to take a trip because my shoes is good for uh, trips and they um, uh, earn more than one hundred thousand dollars a year because my shoes are expensive and whatever blah 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 so you can be very very specific with the type of people that you target and show them information but other people can use that as well not just people that want to sell information people that want to validate ideas and you know the, the high tech uh, uh, industry is doing that a lot. So you're showing um, fake products and fake things to the public and see if people click it, not clicking it, uh, how do they react to that, but also people that want to check our opinions, 
So they want to check if we like this guy or this guy in the election. So they might show us ad of this guy and might show us ads of this guy and see which of those we click, which of those we, we react with. So this is behavioral experiment, or experimentation platform. It allows third parties to show us information and see how we behave, how we react with this information. Now let's connect those things together. Let's connect the fact that we all share the same cognitive biases and people think in the same way to the fact that we all have, that we're gonna see intensive privacy mining, more and more of our privacy is gonna get collected, to the fact that we're all connected to, to platforms like Facebook, Google, and others that allow third party to show us information to see what we do with it, and that leads us to one of the biggest problems that humanity faces today, which is programmable people, as you've mentioned, Moshe, at the beginning. The ability to use the connection of data, uh, psychology, and technology to change people's behavior and obviously the most um the most obvious example is the fact that the russians interfered in the u.s elections and the russians did interfere in the u.s elections so it should be clear for everyone um, they have uh, um, an agency that has uh, data scientists hackers psychologists and they are working together in order to um, issue campaigns aimed at changing people's decision-making and changing people's, uh, um, um, the way they make, um, the, the way they elect the president. And the thing is that this is much more sophisticated than just you know publishing stupid things on Facebook. They have the ability to identify who are, um, who are thought leaders in their community and they will focus their efforts on this specific person to change this person's behavior because they know that if they will be able to do that, then they will be able to change other people's um, decision making and so on and so forth. And they do that by many, many different um, techniques. Uh, but it's not just in the United States. It happened in many different places, in French, in, in France, in Italy, in Germany. Um, some say it might have happened in Israel as well. So we know that the head of the Mossad, um, one of the secret agencies in Israel, uh, publicly said that he is scared that another nation will interfere in the, in the Israeli elections as well. And let me just tell you that interfering in the elections might happen by different means. So so Israel just went through another election process, right? You know? And I'm sure each and every one of the and each and every one of you received those text messages saying, who will you vote, right? Those text messages sometimes are not are, are not about getting your answer at all. They're just about sending you a message. Because if you say, who will you vote? Number one, this party. Number two, this party. Number three, this party. And you get this message enough time. In your mind, you associate this party with number one, this party with number two, this party with number three. And asking questions is a great and amazing way to put um, um, ideas in people's minds. For example, if I ask you a question, why do you feel bad? The way your mind works in order to find the answer to this question, the first thing your mind um, will do is that assumes that you feel bad. Now it will try and find answers to this question. So sometimes you will say, no, 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 I don't feel bad. But in many cases, just by asking you this question, I somehow uh, inserted into your mind the notion that you actually feel bad. And you will start thinking about why does this person think that I feel bad? Do I really feel bad? Why do I feel bad? And this will automatically change your mood just by asking you a question. And the last example I'm going to give today, because there are so many things to talk about, is obviously Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica, it's a business company. It's not some secret dark organization. It's a business company, a registered business company. And, and, and I took a screenshot from their website. And what their website says is that Cambridge Analytica uses data to change audience behavior. So what they're doing is that they're collecting information about people from many different sources. They're putting it into a, a psychological model. And what they get in return is a manual on how to change people's minds. And this manual could be very, very targeted. So they, their system is able to, to, to tell you what is the best way to change Moshe's mind, right? Ariel's mind, like specific people's mind and what steps you should take in order to do that. So this is a business company and this is very, very interesting. So 
obviously there are many things happening um, and the future is going to be much more interesting than than what's going on right now because we have fake privacy and pseudo privacy where um, systems AI systems today are able to create information that looks real like videos like deep fakes um, and and fake pictures of people which which are not true but our mind is not sophisticated enough to identify those things so let me just stop let me just finish this by by saying this how do you define yourself as a person who are you are you the sum of your thoughts your beliefs your decision making processes your memories what if i would tell you that a great portion of those things were actually created by other people by other companies and we live in a world where we constantly are being manipulated sometimes by not so sophisticated algorithms for example when we go to a restaurant where we see an uh, an ad on television but sometimes in many many in a very very sophisticated ways and because everyone in the world today have direct access to us through facebook whatsapp uh, uh, linkedin twitter and others people could um uh, issue a campaign specifically aimed for us specifically aimed to change our mind about something Um, and the examples are amazing and are terrible at at the same time and at the same level and my message for you is the best way to deal with those problems is adopting critical thinking we have to be critical about what we see and about what we read and sometimes we read something and see something and in our guts we feel uncomfortable with it there is something inside us tells you know it feels like it's not true Uh, most of us are ignoring the sound because we have the another bias that says if everyone if everyone is sharing that it's probably okay to share that if everybody talks about talks about that it's probably to- okay to talk about that but we should not ignore this voice we should give voice to this voice we should listen to it and we should be very good in asking questions and if you read an article and you see that it, this article only shows one side of the picture and quotes um things like data and 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 things that people say without showing the source of those quotes usually say you know what this is not aligned with the standards of of articles that I'm willing to read or willing to share so critical thinking is very important for the future we should teach kids about critical thinking and how it should be done you should read books about critical thinking and 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 we should know that the challenges ahead of us are much greater than the ones that we've already faced and it's not exaggeration to say that free will is in danger and we should all be aware of those risks Okay, <laughs> it was really interesting and it's uh, scary. I can I can say no. Yeah, so this is what I do. <laughs> Cybersecurity is all about screaming. What, I, what can I say? Okay. okay, so it was very interesting, Manny. The the future of privacy, uh, basically, and the way that you led us all the way to the conclusion that we need to uh, adopt some more different kind of thinking. That we should be more critical. Uh, we should be more critics in our uh, the way that think, the way that we process things. Uh, it was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very very happy to be here. Okay, thank you very much, man. Bye, Moshe, and to bye all, bye. all our listeners. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.